Thanks for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Thanks again and enjoy today's message from Pastor Jim Kubik. We've covered six of the seven churches. What I plan to do is cover the last one today. Next week, I feel compelled to do a, a summarization lesson of all the churches for this purpose. We started, I, I told you at the very beginning of this section of Revelation, the seven churches, that I don't, I don't believe these are epochs of time. These aren't time frames in the church. That these are what is right and wrong with the church throughout, throughout the history of the church. And so, and I, and I still believe that, and, and certainly believe that, and have taught it that way. Um, with that in mind, I want to do a summarization of all seven churches next week and have a very, even if it means being painful, honest conversation with, with our church about what we're getting right, what we're getting wrong. Amen? Sometimes... Well, if God sees it, we should talk about it. And if we're lacking somewhere, God, God should ex- be able to expect us to filter our life, our church, our assembly through the word and determine whether or not we're doing what we should be doing. And so that's the purpose next week. I'm going to cover all seven of them for the purposes of, he says at the beginning, we're going to cover these, but he says, I see your deeds. I see what you're doing. What does he see in Launch Point doing? And I want to have that very open conversation with you guys next week. So just so you know. But today, like I said, we're covering the message at Laodicea in chapter 3, verses 14 through 22. Before I get started there, we talked about the faithful church last week, or that is, Pastor Rick did. And again, I thank, thank you, Pastor Rick, for covering the church in Philadelphia. Today, we're going to talk about this church and how it was a self-reliant, Lukewarm church. And no church should be those things. We're going to talk about what that means. But I want to talk to you first about the people of God, Israel. Israel was the recipient of incredible spiritual privilege. We are the recipients of incredible spiritual privilege. I read this out of Romans 9, 4, and 5. It says this, Israelites to whom belongs the adoption as sons. We've been adopted as sons. And the glory of the covenants. We've been given the glory of a covenant with God. And the privilege of the law and the temple services and promises. So all of those things so that we might know where we lack and expect that there is an offering for that lack. Our lack, our offering for that lack is Christ Jesus. Whose are the fathers and from whom is the Christ according to the flesh who is over all, God blesses forever, amen. Israel had all of these blessings from God. They they belonged to God. God saw after them. God made promises to them. He gave them the law to show them how to be holy. He gave us the word to show us what holiness looks like in Christ Jesus and then offered a sacrifice because we we can't provide that sacrifice for ourselves. Amen? So we've been given privilege 
sadly, I did a whole series in Amos a couple, couple years ago, that we've abused privilege. We've taken that which God gave us and we've abused it. They've abused it too. God chose them. He loved them. He, he grabbed them and pulled them out of Israel. He protected them while they were in Israel, increased their number, watched over them in 40 years of the desert, brought them into the promised land, gave them a land of their own over and over and over. God blesses His people. Amen? Would we agree with that? The character of God hasn't changed since the days of Moses. The character of God has never changed from eternity's past. If He took care of His people then, He's going to take care of His people now. If He blessed them and gave them spiritual privilege, He's promised to give us spiritual privilege. That we, because we belong to Christ Jesus, have access to all of these things. Amen? This should bring us hope today. Sadly, though, much like the Israelites, we've taken that privilege and we've abused it. We've walked in open rebellion to God. Let me, let me read this to you. Jeremiah 7.26 says, And yet they did not listen to me, or incline their ear, but stiffened their neck. They did more evil than their fathers. That's the, that's the nature of the church today. Let me tell you what the truth is. I'm not going to... When he says stiffen the neck, that means they become stubborn. And they wouldn't, they wouldn't allow God to lead them and show them who they were. We're stiffening our neck towards the privilege that we had through rebellion, through apostasy, through disobedience. Pastor Leonard prayed, God, show us to be an obedient people. But through, regardless of what God gave us, we decided that we're going to stiffen our neck and do more evil than the last generation, than our fathers did. And guess what? That generation did more evil than the fathers before them. And the generation before that, the more evil than their fathers before them. Mankind is slowly degrading until Jesus comes back and makes everything perfect. Amen? And so, we have this privilege which is privileges, which is available to anyone willing to confess that Jesus Christ is the way to an eternity with God, but we've abused the covenant relationship that we have, and we've stiffened our neck. I think this breaks the heart of God. God over and over again talks about how it breaks His heart. Isaiah 48.18 says, If only you had paid attention to my commandments. I want you to listen to the tone. Uh, there's, there's exclamation points in the scripture that I think we look over. And there's an exclamation point at the end of this sentence when Isaiah is speaking on behalf of God. If only you had paid attention to my commandments. Oh, if only you would have listened. I want to bless you. I want to pour out on you. I want to do the things that, that, that I promise you in Christ Jesus. If only... You would listen. Then your well-being would have been like a river and your righteousness like the waves of the sea. But instead, you decided to be a stiff-necked, prideful people. Ezekiel 6, 9b says, Now how I have been hurt by their adulterous hearts, which turned away from me, and by their eyes which played the harlot after their idols. 
This isn't small words. These are words we should pay attention to. There's, I am convinced there is one thing that one man can do to another man to completely destroy him. And that is take from him his bride. It destroys a man when the thing that he gave his very life for and his sacrifices daily for is stripped from him in an adulterous affair. This is what we do to God when we turn to our, to our idols and we depend on other things besides the Christ that lives in us. I think the heart of God breaks when we walk in rebellion. And ultimately Israel was punished for their stiff-necked adultery. They were taken off by the Assyrians and the Babylonians. Jerusalem was destroyed. Eventually the temple was just destroyed. Jesus himself talked about how, how hurt he must have been, if you'll pay attention to the verbiage. In Luke 13, 34, he says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that killed the prophets and stoned those sent to her. How often, listen, this is it's almost, it's a, it's a love letter. This is love letter verbiage. How often I wanted to gather your children together, just as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you wouldn't have it. You know, this is the God that we serve, that he wants to gather us and love us and collect us, that he's made a covenant with us, that in Christ Jesus we have a security. He just, he said, oh, Jerusalem, oh, people of God, oh, people of God, how long have I wanted to gather you to myself? and cover you, and protect you, and watch after you to ensure that nothing happens to you. But we still rebel. We still walk in, in open rebellion. That, that condition of Israel is paralleled in the modern church, as I think I've, I've spoken clearly enough. That what they struggled with then, we still struggle with now. There's, there's a church out there. And remember, when I'm talking about the church, I'm talking about the church cumulatively and individually. That have allowed themselves, much like the ch church at Laodicea, to rebel, to count on self-reliance, to think that it's okay to just be okay, to do the work of the ministry without the heart of the ministry. And I'm going to talk about all that in a second. But the message to the church is so bad that God offers no commendation for them. He has nothing nice to say about this particular church. And so I want to talk about this letter. And I'm going to follow the format minus the commendation because... He doesn't give one that I've followed thus far, starting with community, correspondence, who actually wrote the letter and why, how he's describing himself, the correction, what they're doing wrong, and then finally the comfort, what, what they can expect if they get it right. The community first. 14b reads like this. Let me just read the whole letter to you. 
to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, The Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God says this, I know your deeds, that you are neither hot, cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Makes me sad. Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. And you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed. The eye salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love I reprove and discipline. Therefore be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. He who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne room, on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Amen. So I want to talk just real fast about the city. The city was built on a plateau, and it was built in a strategic location. From east to west, it went to Ephesus. From north to south, it moved to Pergamum, which means that it was literally the crossroads or the intersection of commerce for this region because it was the intersection of commerce for this region, for this entire region. It was very wealthy. In fact, there was... There was one of the things that it was known for, one of the three things that it was known for was its centralized banking system and the amount of gold that was stored there. So they were famous for three things. Their centralized banking, the fact that they had figured out how to take black wool, make it shiny, and turn it into fabric, which was very, very expensive. And they had... Uh, ISAV medicine there that they produced there that stopped eye infection that would eventually lead in to, to blindness. I need you to pay attention to these three areas because he speaks specifically based on who they are to the problem that they have. He speaks about their riches and how their riches is create, have created apathy. He talks about their black garments and how instead maybe we should have garments of righteousness which are white garments, and ISAV, which we should use, the spiritual ISAV that he provides, so that we might not be blind to spiritual things. And so he describes and, and makes a point to declare all three of these things based on who this city was. This city was rich, it was apathetic, and it had the ability to create wealth through ISAV and the, the sheep's wool that they used. And I'm going to get to all that in just a second. Before I get to that, though, let me talk to you about who's writing this letter. Anybody know who wrote this letter? Jesus. John wrote the book. Jesus wrote the letter. 
And I told you, and I've told you repeatedly, and I'm going to continue to tell well, I'm not going to continue to tell you because we're done with this after this week, but he, dis- he explains himself to each individual church based on their need of him. He declares who he is based on their need of him. He says, To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, The Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. He declares himself three things. The Amen. Now he didn't say Amen. He said the Amen. What's the difference? Because when I end a prayer, what do I say? In Jesus' name, Amen. What does that mean? That means let it be. And so when I finish a prayer, I'll say, let it be. Which is why it cracks me up sometimes when I'm talking to folks in the church and I and I say something and, and it's either I'm trying to be funny or it's a rebuke and you go, Amen. You know, man, I'm talking about you. What are you amening for? But that's how amen is used normally. But it's not the same as the amen. The amen is the truth. The Hebrew word for truth is amen. He said the truth is speaking to you. I need you to pay attention because the truth is speaking to you. I can prove this to you in scripture if you'll look this up in in the Hebrew. If you'll go to blueletterbible.com. or org or whichever I'm not sure I can't remember exactly which right now but it says this Isaiah 65 16 because he who is blessed in the earth will be blessed by the by the God of truth if you look that word truth up it's amen the God of the truth and he who swears in the earth will swear by the God of truth the God of amen because the former troubles are forgotten, and because they are hidden from my sight. So when he says, listen to me, if you don't get anything else, I want you to understand who Jesus is in this letter. He is the amen. He is the absolute truth. He is exactly who he says he is. He is exactly what the word says that he is. He's holy. He's perfect. He's without change. He is omnipotent. He is omniscient. He is all things. He's transcendent. This is what the word of God says that Jesus is. He is the truth. Amen? And because He's the truth, and because He's certain, He can be trusted. What can He be trusted to do? Whatever it is He told you He would do. Whatever it is He told you He is, He is. Because He is the Amen, the truth. Which is why 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, For as many are, are the promises of God in Him, they are yes. Did you hear that? All of them. I like this second part. Because you hear it quoted, um, the promises of God are yes and amen. I mean, you guys have heard it said that way. That's not what the verse says. The verse says, For as many as are the promises of God in Him, they are yes. Therefore, because every promise that He made you is true, through Him is our amen to the glory of God through us. 
And so we have the promise, and we can hold to that promise so strongly that it causes us to say, so be it. That's good. How do I know that I'm going to get what God told me he's, that I'm going to get? Because God told me I'm going to get that, according to His Word. I'm not talking about a prosperity gospel. I'm just talking about grace and mercy and love and kindness and blessing. I'm talking about that God loves me enough to see me where I am. And that's all that we need. The amen. I love that. It's not the, I'm the, let it be. I'm the truth. Hang your nail, hang your head on that nail. Hang your whole life on that. Know that God hasn't lied to you. But then he continued. He's not just the truth. He's a faithful and true witness. Which means that he's not just the truth because of who he is, but he's the truth because everything he speaks is the truth. You know the purpose of a witness? To declare the truth. And so not only is he the truth, the way and the life according to the word of God, but everything that he says is true as the as the, as the witness, as the faithful and true witness. He's not cast a shadow on the truth. He's not, he's not used the truth to manipulate you. He's not shaded the truth. He is the truth and has declared it as a witness, guaranteeing that what he said is absolutely true. I am the way, the truth, and the life. You want to know how to get to God? Jesus. You want to know why you can get to Jesus or God through Jesus? Because Jesus said so. And He is the truth and He is faithful as a witness to us. But then He finishes in declaring Himself as the beginning of the creation of God. Now that, that verbiage will mess you up. Wait a minute. He's the beginning of the creation? Because I was understanding that Jesus was eternal. That he's part of the Trinity. And he is. He's not the beginning of creation. The, the English translation messes it up. Just because of the way that our, our verbiage is. The English language is. But what it means is he is the source of creation. He is the source of creation. John 1.3 says, All things came into being through him. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. That's so good. You know how big the God is that you serve? The God that you serve is so big that you can count on him. You not only can count on him, you can count on what he says. You can't only count on what he says, you can count on the fact that everything that you have came from his hand. Everything that ever was, he created. He is the Word made flesh. You just started reading in Genesis. One of the first things you probably notice is that, is that God spoke and this happened. God spoke and this happened. God spoke and this happened. Jesus is the Word of God that speaks, that makes things happen. And that Word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. That is incredible to me. He is the source, the perfect, truthful source of all creation. 
And because he's the perfect source, truthful witness of all creation, he has the right to tell us where we're good and where we're bad. Specifically in regard to this church, why he's dissatisfied with them. What I'm about to tell you, I'm telling you because I am the truth. What I'm about to tell you, I'm telling you, recognizing that I created it all. And so everything should go as I, as I say it should go. It is true what I'm about to tell you because I am an, a truthful, honest, faithful witness. Now have an ear to hear. And then he starts with their correction. He says, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Over and over and over again, we read, I know your deeds. I know your deeds. I know your deeds. I know your deeds. I don't I know this church was severely lacking and was in fact lukewarm, self-reliant, which is worse than being dead, which I'll talk about in just a second. But it shouldn't be a condemnation. It should be a comfort to you. I know I just started the correction part. But let me tell you, Jesus sees you where you are. I see your deeds. I know what you've done. And I love you anyway. Why do you think he took time to write these letters? He took these time to write these letters so that the church could get it right. He wants his church to be perfect. He sacrificed for a perfect church. But we, he expects us to get it right, to walk in obedience. To be doers of the word, not hearers only. But him saying our deeds, it shouldn't cause us to quake and shake. Well, it should also cause us to, shouldn't just cause us to quake and shake. It should cause us to go to the feet of the Father and say, I know you saw that. And I thank you that you love me anyway. I, I thank you that I fell short. But you picked me up. One of the great stories, parables that Jesus told was the vineyard, the divine dresser. He says, I, I pick you up. It says, I'll cut you off. If you don't abide in the vine, I'll cut you off. And then he says, then I'll cut you back. And then I'll cut you completely and throw you in a fire. That first cut you off isn't a cutting you off because he hasn't even pruned you yet. If you'll do a study there, it says literally, I know you're dirty. I know you're gross. I know you're not able to bear fruit on your own. But if you'll rest in me, God, the vine dresser, will pick you up out of that mess, clean you up, and reattach you to the vine. And in the vine, I'll prune you back so that you can produce good fruit. But there's a consequence for not producing good fruit. But God loves you enough to get you out of your funk first. 
praise God because my funk is pretty funky. Amen? Amen. Anybody else got some funky funk going on in here? We do, don't we? Except that we serve a holy God. And so he says, I see your deeds. That you are neither hot nor cold. Let's talk about that a second. There was only one problem with the geographical location of Laodicea. And that is, it was two miles away from its closest water source. And so they had to pipe their water in through arid country in a stone pipe or ceramic pipe or whatever kind of pipe they used. Imagine water traveling through a stone pipe in hot arid desert for two miles before it reaches you. It's going to be lukewarm. Any of you guys ever taken a drink of water out of a water bottle that's been sitting in your car all day? I don't mind, I don't mind hot water. Hot water is comforting. Sometimes you just need to sit back, get in that hot water, and just let it relax you. I like cold water because cold water will refresh you. But the worst thing you could put in your mouth on a hot summer day is lukewarm water. That water that's just almost hot but not quite, I challenge you to drink a bottle of it without your stomach turning over. God says, I, I'm mad, not because you're hot, not because you're cold. Because if you were hot, you'd be zealous. You'd be ready. You'd be doing everything you're supposed to be doing. If you were cold, I would be able to speak to you by the power of my spirit. You'd be pliable to what I'm trying to tell you. But you're neither of those things. You're neither comforting or refreshing. You're neither relaxing or refreshing. You're a hypocrite. You want to know the worst thing you can be in the eyes of God? Something different than what you tell other people that you are. People say, Pastor Jim, something else, man. You never know what's going, what he's going to say or what he's going to do. But I tell you one thing. Who I am here is who I am wherever I am. <laughs> Steve is, I've known him a long time. That's true. Good or bad, that's true. God says, decide who you're going to be. Are you going to be hot or are you going to be cold? Because if you're not, either of those things, if you're a hypocrite, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. i got no use for you. Then he continues. He says, so because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Because you say I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. And you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and naked and blind. I advise you to buy. He says, listen, you're self-reliant. You got money. You think people care about that. People might care about that. But God don't care about that. Five cents or five million dollars. I don't care what you have in your pocket. You know why? Because God don't care what you have in your pocket. He's more worried about your heart than he is your wallet. The reason we talk about giving, the reason we give is because it grows the kingdom of God. And because the word of God tells us to be obedient to give. 
but what you give is between you and the Lord. But don't walk around here thinking because you have more money in your pocket, you're more valuable, or because you have less money in your pocket, you're less valuable, because that's not true. I've shared with you before, the greatest offering I've ever received, we've ever received here, was $1.38 from a guy that just had $1.38 to give. Took every penny and nickel out of his pocket and put it in that envelope. And it's all he had. And God can do more with that dollar and 38 cents with a compliant, reliant heart than he can with a check for $50,000 from someone that is just going through the motions. A lukewarm church goes through the motions. They're hypocrites. They want people to see them do stuff. Why am I doing what I do? Because it makes me look good. There's congregants, pastors in churches all over the world that do what they do so people can watch them do what they do. They build a platform for themselves so that they can become popular. I don't care if you like me or not. Well, that's not true. I love you. I want you to like me. But I don't care enough to to adulterate the truth for you. Because it's too important. And so he's telling them, don't count on your wealth. Don't count on the fact that you don't have need for anything. Because in your self-reliance, you have need of far more than you know. And he tells them, so I advise for you to buy from me gold refined by fire. Wonder why he used that? Because they they were a wealthy city and a wealthy church. Because it's through Christ Jesus that we're refined. He moves from the physical. This is what you have. But the parallel and the spiritual. This is what you need. You need gold from me, refined by fire, so that you may become rich, truly rich. So that you might have eternity as your home. Which is available only through, and I love this old school verbiage. Pastor Leonard uses it all the time. Cross of Calvary. I call that old school verbiage because you don't hear anybody say Calvary anymore. But we should. So I encourage you to buy gold so that you might truly be rich and white garments that you may clothe yourself and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed God tells us to put on his righteousness he gave us his righteousness this to a city that had figured out how to mass produce black shiny wool and we're proud of it in the physical imagine wearing this black shiny robe and you're very expensive and you're looking very proper and doing all the stuff that you do and in the spiritual this representing the sin in your life I'm covered in the black filthiness of who I am it's cost me everything I'm proud of this we live sadly in a society that's that's proud of the sin we commit and we parade it around town like it's a robe we should be not only proud of, but 
expect other people to be proud of it too. And Jesus says, no, 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 you don't need that. You need to buy from me the white robe of righteousness. You need to buy righteousness that only I can give you. You need to present yourself as pure and unstained. And then he continues, and I salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Jesus speaks to all three of the things that they were so proud of. To their medicine, to their money, to their woolen goods. He's, over and over the Bible talks about us being spiritually blind before we're in relationship with Jesus. They produced an ISAB there that would, it would work against several different eye issues but it was a salve specifically that when you rubbed it on the eye, decreased swelling and helped people that were losing their eyesight regain their eyesight. And he's saying in the physical, you, you're proud of the salve that you have, but it's not the salve that you need. I'm the salve that you need. The truth is the salve that you need. Rub this on your eyes. Hear the fact that I am the amen. Hear that I am the faithful and true witness. Hear that I am the supreme over all creation. That's the ISAB we need. And then he makes us this promise. He said, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So they're freaking out by now. Y'all understand that, right? Like they're hearing all this stuff. And they're freaking out. And Jesus says, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Expect some reprove and discipline. But then he says this. Therefore be zealous and repent. I have two daughters and now a grandson. And I will tell you, I've never beat them for the sake of beating them. I've never disciplined them for the sake of disciplining them. For saying, I have the authority to, so I'm going to abuse you. The only time that they've ever gotten a paddling or a spanking or anything like that is when I needed them to understand where they went wrong, where they broke a trust, so that they could be put back into a place where they could be trusted again. And so when he says he disciplines us, it's to bring us to a place of repentance, to bring us back to a place of zealousness where we say, I love the Lord. I repent for what I've done wrong. I ask, Heavenly Father, that you forgive me where, I do, where I've done wrong. I walk in obedience. These things happen in discipline. So God disciplines us. God disciplines or is threatening to discipline. And in fact, I believe probably did discipline the Laodicean church. But it was so that they could be back in relationship, so that they could have this. I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and will dine with him and he with me. I don't I'm, just, I'm grasping for words to to expound on that, but I don't I don't know how I could. Jesus wants a relationship with you. He wants to sit down at your dinner table and have a conversation relationship with you.
He who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And so there's comfort. I know your deeds. I know what you've done. I discipline you. I correct you because I want you, I want you to overcome that. But let me tell you, if you'll overcome it, you'll spend eternity with me. As you overcome it, you'll spend eternity with me. May you have ear to hear what the Spirit says. I want to have ear to hear what the Spirit's saying to me. I want you to have ear to hear what the Spirit is saying to you. Because at the end of it all, God's going to say something to you. And it's going to be one of two things. Depart from me, for I never knew you. Or well done, good and faithful servant. The question is, are you hearing the knock? Are you overcoming? Are you accepting the discipline? Because that's what God calls us to do. Amen?